Hi, and welcome back to the Yoga Biz Podcast, everyone. It is so good to be here, and I'm really sitting here hoping that you're having a good start to 2023. Now, this episode is something that I'm really, really excited to share with this community because I get asked all the time by yoga teachers, my clients, the people in my Facebook group about contracts, waivers, and basically how do you not get sued as a yoga teacher or a yoga studio owner? We talk a lot on this podcast about how yoga teachers aren't often taken seriously as business owners, which also leads very, very often to yoga teachers being locked into unfair contracts, being treated unfairly as 1099 contractors, and getting taken advantage of by not just studios, but also clients. So I brought on an expert in this topic, Corey Sterling. Corey Sterling is an attorney. He's the founder of Conscious Counsel and also the author of the Yoga Law Book, which outlines business law basics for yoga professionals and business owners. So in this episode, we basically talk about all the things that yoga teachers are not taught about how to legally protect themselves from not only not getting sued, but not getting taken advantage of by studios or corporations that they work for. I have linked all of Corey's links down in the show notes. So if you want to order his book, if you want to get in touch with him, you can absolutely do that. And I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Meg, thank you so much for having me. And for everyone who's listening who doesn't know, Meg and I each, even though we're in very different locations, we both just got out of the shower. Yes, yes. I think it's really important for everyone to know that. Also, where are you located? Should I ask you that before? But... I'm in Brazil, in the, in the northeast of Brazil, in a small beach town called Preya, where I'm kite surfing. And I have an outdoor shower. So I don't know. Wow. I, yeah. So that makes my life seem really boring. And it is pouring down rain here right now. <laughs> and so you don't even need a shower. You just need to go outside. I know. I know. It's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, that's, that's great. I'm so happy to have you on. And I'm really excited for my listeners to hear from you. I think this is the first time I've had a lawyer on the podcast. We've had like accountants, we've had some like finance people on, but this is a brand new, a brand new element to the yoga biz podcast. Cool. I'm happy to carry the flag for all uh, for all lawyers and everyone can make whatever generalizations they want to about what all lawyers are like, because I really I represent the typical lawyer, um, you know, suit, tie, yeah. office building, busy work. That's me. I can see that from your outfit. <laughs> I'm not going to tell people what the outfit is. <laughs> All right, let's dive in because I'm sure my listeners are sitting there probably a little bit nervous and worried that you're going to tell them that they're at risk for being sued or that there's things that they need to be doing. So I want this to be, I want this to be something that is not stressful for my listeners or for me. I'm worried you're going to tell me something too, but let's just dive in. Um, Let's dive in and let's talk about the legal essentials for health and fitness professionals, because this podcast, all the listeners on here, 90% are yoga teachers or in a related industry. Got it. So I'm happy to do that. And also just to set the context so that everyone feels relaxed. I'll let everyone know I've got a beautiful green juice in front of me. 
So like grab a snack, gra as you're listening, grab a snack, feel comfortable. It's everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Put on a um, warm, cozy sweater. Yeah, totally. What Whatever works. But the important thing to know is like law, I'm on a mission to make law fun, right? So the point of this conversation is for it to be fun, for it to be uplifting, to look for the opportunities that you have in your business to be protected and be at best practices. So like, I'll just remind everyone, even before we talk about the legal essentials, that nothing serious is really going on here. Cool. We love that. Yeah. Keeping it fun. Exactly. And so the, the legal essentials for, uh, let's say, a yoga teacher or someone who has a, an online yoga practice or maybe even a small studio, whatever it is, I um, when I, I wrote a book called The Yoga Law Book, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals, just because I didn't want anyone to be confused about what the book might be about, um, I, I really identified three key relationships that any yoga teacher will have as they operate their business. And I've been through a yoga teacher training myself, and I'm a yoga teacher uh, as well. And I started a yoga festival. So I'm like, I, you know, I've, I've been in it and I love it and it's my passion and it makes me so super happy. And the, the thing to know is that, and I know this because I went through this is like, it's, they don't give you any instructions about running your own business. It's not no. like, Oh, you're a yoga, it's your yoga teacher. Cause you're amazing at teaching yoga and you have a particular practice that inspires you and that you're amazing at teaching and that other people connect with. And, you know, they come on the mat in your class to be there and you find a way to get them to connect with themselves in some amazing, inspiring way. And like, then they go out into the world and they're doing their thing and you've made the world a better place by virtue of doing that. But it's not like, oh, I, I want to be a yoga teacher. And now someone's going to tell me all the important things that I have to do. So mm -hmm. the first thing that I just want to say is like, I get it that no one knows this stuff. Because even for me, when I was a lawyer working in a big law firm, I, I did, I, I never thought about yoga and the law together. So it's not a natural junction of where we are, but that being said, I've been able to create a business and a service and an offering and write a book about, about this subject. And that's because I've having done this for more than five years, I've seen, I've worked with over a thousand clients, all of whom are in the health and wellness space, probably 50% of whom work in yoga. And like, there's just a lot of things that they don't know. So the legal essentials really are, it's like, what is the simplest most basic path of least resistance that we can come up with to explain to people how to protect themselves in their relationships for as a yoga teacher. And so the three biggest relationships that you have that you would want to protect yourself for is one for your online relationships. So that's for your website and your social media. So that what that what that looks like is something like a privacy policy about any information that you collect or information you share. So let's say I've got an online studio or I'm a, just a teacher and I'm collecting payments through PayPal or Stripe or whatever it is. Legally, you need to have a document that, that deals with that. Um, on social media, a lot of the times we go out there and we're like, oh my God, the five easy steps to touching your toes or having the perfect backbend or getting into handstand or crow or whatever it is that you that you wanna say. And I think what what I've what I've noticed because a lot of my clients have gotten sued, unfortunately, is that people don't realize that when you go out on social media and you tell people that they can receive a, a certain outcome by doing something specifically, that like you're you have to accept responsibility for that. You're mm -hmm. a teacher. You're holding yourself out as an expert. People are relying on that information, and then if they suffer damages or get hurt as a result, they're going to hold you responsible. So the first relationship is online. The second relationship has to do with liability. 
liability basically means like you getting sued for someone else suffering da suffering damages or getting hurt. All of that is dealt with in a waiver of liability. And very simply put, a waiver of liability should be customized specifically to you and your yoga practice. And that's the document where you say to someone, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. It's going to be online, pre-recorded, in-person, group, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it is. These are all the, the, the equipment that we're going to use. These are the different types of postures that we're doing or types of yoga we're practicing. In the event that you get injured, you promise not to hold me responsible mm. or come after me for my assets. So that's like, that's the waiver that covers you, the relationship you have with liability. And then third is the client service agreement. So this is the relationship you have with your clients. Is it a recurring revenue model with subscriptions? Is it, are people buying 10 classes, 10 packs of classes? Are they just paying each time they come? What about cancellations? What about refunds? What about guarantees? What about all of this, all that sort of stuff is dealt with in the client service agreement. And what I can say with confidence is that if a yoga teacher has those three agreements that covers those three relationships, 99.9% .9 of the problems that you're going to deal with will be addressed by virtue of having a service agreement, having a waiver, and having documents for practicing online and collecting information. Wow. Okay. So I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. That is such a good overview. And I, and I wanted to, I wanted to touch a little bit more on social media because I feel like social media is one that we kind of just go out there. And especially when you first get started, a lot of yoga teachers are just putting like random things out on social media, not thinking about the fact that they, they could potentially get sued. Can you talk a little bit more about like what, how to protect yourself whenever you're starting out, just growing an audience versus segueing into actually working with clients? Okay. Well, the first thing to know is if the question is, how do you protect yourself? The answer is by having customized legal documents that protect you. So what I want for all of my clients is like, okay, work with us. It takes 13 minutes to answer a whole bunch of questions. In seven days, you get customized legal documents. Everything's taken care of. And the whole point of that is like, then you're not worrying or stopping to think about like, oh, can I be putting this out here? Can I say this? Can I be doing all of that stuff? Because you know that you have the, the legal foundation in place. So if the question is, how do you protect yourself? That's what you do. The issue is that anyone can sue anyone for any reason, right? So I could decide this afternoon that I want to I want to sue Meg and I'm going to create uh, some sort of story that is not true about being a podcast on Meg's podcast. And she said all these things about me and now my company is suffering damages and blah, 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 whatever. I can go to the courthouse, to small claims court or, you know, Supreme Court, whatever I want, I could file all the documents I want, I can get you served. And then legally, you're going to have to respond to that. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important thing to know about getting sued is that anyone can do it at, at any time, which, which is uh, the, you know, the foundation of our legal system and how it works, and the freedom that people have, but also, it can be challenging. So if the important thing to know is that in the event that something happens, you want to be able to dismiss any claims against you as quickly as possible. And the best way to, by doing that is having legal documents. So that being said, let's go back to, to the, the question of, okay, someone's trying to build an audience. So you're putting stuff out there. That's awesome. Like do it your way, share what you want, come up with your favorite postures or tips or things that work for you or whatever it is that you want to do to, to get followers and start building. But just make sure that you have that base framework in place so that in the event, God forbid, something happens, 
that you could say, hey, you know, I had a social media disclaimer, which I, I shared with you my qualifications. I told you not to force yourself in any position. Um, I told you to seek medical advice before uh, participating with me and that, you know, I'm not supervising you because all of this is done on YouTube or, or whatever it is. And so that's sort of like, if, if that's how you protect yourself from that sort of stuff. And then, yeah. And then as you get clients, like the moment that you're working with clients and you have actual people you're working with, that's when you get them to sign a waiver of liability and a service agreement. Does that, does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah. And I think I, I totally agree. I think it's really important to talk about because I've never talked about um, social media content in the context of the law, but we have talked about it in our trauma-informed trainings and like not talking about yoga, poses, movement, anything as if it's like a one size fits all, you know, like if you do this, you'll get this result. If you do this, you'll get this result. Honestly, that's like a lot more trauma-informed, a lot more ethical. And it also sounds like it's also a good way to protect you legally. Because if you say like, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be able to do a handstand in five days. Most likely it's not going to happen for everyone. Yeah. Right. So it's not a very kind thing to do in general anyway, but also, you know, if you get sued, you can point to the fact that you maybe talked about it in a different context in the sense of like, this worked for me, it might work for you. Yeah. It's it, the name of the game with all of this stuff is open and honest communication. That's really the goal of legal documents, right? So, so long as you say to someone before they, you know, if they're accessing your channel, you put it in your social media disclaimer, before you start working together, if you put in the service agreement, hey, this is what you can expect. Everybody is different. Everyone's going to see different results. My commitment is showing up and giving you the best information that I can. And let's, and we'll see what goes from there. That's so different than trying to get followers to saying like, oh, I promise you that, you know, you can hold your headstand for five minutes. If you follow these three simple tricks, like then you're, it, it's going to be more, it's, it's going to be more difficult and more complicated for you. Yeah, totally agree. Can you talk about like the main things that you see people getting sued for in this industry? Um, the, the number one thing would be injuries, injuries, someone, someone getting injured in a class, uh, mm -hmm. is the, is the biggest thing that, that I consistently see. I'm going through something with a client now where they ran a teacher training three years ago and they're getting, they got an email from one of the participants who like email, like continue to go to other trainings, but they're like, Hey, three years ago, I, you did an adjustment on me. And like legal question, does the waiver of liability consent for physical touch? Like everyone who's listening, this is this is why we need legal documents. Yeah. Um, and so the person saying, oh, well, you know what? I didn't know it at the time, but now I'm really injured and I'm not able to work as much and I can't look at a screen and I'm a computer programmer. It's like, firstly, all the crazy stories that you'd imagine are out there I hear all the time. Um, and so now it's like, as a lawyer, my job is always, and so everyone who's listening, if, if you ever have a legal issue, the first question your lawyer is going to ask you is what legal documents do you have signed, right? Because the whole thing about signed legal documents is that that's like two people agreeing to a certain relationship under certain terms and their legal promises when it's binding and executed. So I'm just going through all of the paperwork now. And luckily, this is a client who I did their agreements before they started their trainings. So like we're in great shape. We have the waiver of liability signed that includes consent to physical touch and outline the specific injuries that this person is claiming. 
So it's not going to be an issue for my client. But like, first and foremost, um, the, the biggest issues that I'd see that, that we see uh, are around physical injury. We, I see some, some issues often around quote unquote, safe space and inclusion um, mm. for studios and teachers, which is uh, it's, it's tricky to navigate. And again, my question always is like, you know, what, 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 do you, what does your service agreement say about inclusion and, and how do you, and how, how do you live that? How do you demonstrate that? How is that, how is that exhibited through the way that you practice your classes? I see a lot of issues with studio owners and their teachers on the contractor employee question. If someone is classified properly as a contractor or an employee, and then like standard run of the mill stuff, you don't get sued for this, but like you see a lot of refund questions or a lot of cancellations and someone who wants their money back from a certain period of time, they purchase something, they never used it. And like subject to what the agreement says, like, and, and the, the big rule about law for everyone to understand is that if there's, if there's a signed agreement between the parties, the, the first position always will be that that whoever signed this agreement, it was their intention to include everything they wanted to include on the relationship. So if something's there, it was meant to be there. If something's not there, the the first assumption is that it was intended not to be there. So also one of the other biggest issues that I deal with as a lawyer is clients copy agreements, they use templates, they borrow their friend's contracts, they don't understand what they're signing. and And then as a result, they're in a problem and they've made a legal promise that they didn't quote unquote understand because they used someone else's agreement or that didn't cover them. And then they have a, a, a very weak legal position if a problem arises. And when you have a weak legal position, you have significantly less negotiating power to come to a favorable settlement. Got you. That, I have a couple of questions. How much fun is this, by the way? Like, I'm having fun. I, I feel like you're I'm you're just smiling the whole time I'm talking. I'm like, wow, Meg is really enjoying this. I'm like taking notes. I feel like I'm like in class right now. Okay. I'm like, okay. So um independent contractor agreement. <laughs> but I have some follow-up questions because I feel like um we have a wide variety and I, I fall into both of these categories. So um a lot of our listeners work for yoga studios. Some of them yeah. own yoga studios, some of them do their own thing, some of them a hodgepodge of those three. Yeah. Um, can you talk about, can you talk about the difference between being a contractor working for a studio, like an independent contractor versus, um, being like on staff there or something like that? Cause I feel like a lot of times, and this is the reason I ask this is because a lot of times I think we get hired at studios. We go, we start working, we teach our classes and we just assume that everything is like covered and we're good to go. And if a student like hurts themselves in crow, it'll be on the studio. Can you talk, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of things to unpack there. And I, and I'm going to come to that specific question of if a student gets injured in class, who's covered. So the first thing to know yesterday, yesterday I was having a conversation with an accountant, which is, if you think lawyers are fun, accountants are next level. I'm, I'm sure that you've experienced that yourself. So with an accountant who works with health and fitness, small businesses, and he and I just like went on this whole conversation about how all these businesses always want to have everyone be a contractor and not an employee because it's way cheaper and easier and simpler to have contractors. The issue that a studio can run into is if they misclassify their workers as contractors 
um, instead of employees, when they really treat them like employees, then they run the risk of getting audited, getting back taxes plus interest. And like in my first year of doing this, after writing the yoga law book, I worked with a studio and they got a bill from the IRS for three more than $350,000 for like seven years of back taxes of misclassifications plus penalties plus interest. So like, first thing is the, the, the everybody, the trend in the industry is everybody wants to call everyone a contractor, but it always comes down to how much control do you have over the way the services are provided? Okay. So when you say misclassified, like when contractors are, sorry, no, that's okay. Like, like describe what it would mean for a, like what it would look like for a studio to treat a teacher as an employee instead of a contractor. Okay, cool. Uh, We tell you what hours you have to work. That's a big one. We tell you there's this, you know, uh, every class has to start this way and has to end this way. All of our classes at the studio always need to have four backbending postures. You have to post about your classes on social media. You have to wear a, a shirt of the studio while you're teaching anything. The whole idea of independent contractors in its base is like, I have a business and there's, so I'll give you an example. There's a woman who does graphic designing for my law firm. Her name is Mallory. I've never met Mallory in person. We've worked together for more than four years. And she's always my go-to example for an independent contractor because like, I don't, Mallory could be a robot. Like we don't, we don't really know. She answers emails and her grammar is very good and her work is awesome. But Mallory, I, I'm a, I'm in the business of a law firm. Mallory is a graphic designer. So we're completely different, right? One of the issues that yoga studios will run into is that I'm a yoga studio and I'm contracting out the core service that I have. So based on your jurisdiction, that in and of itself can make someone an employee just like mm-hmm. right off the bat. So that's, that's one thing. Um, Mallory makes her own schedule. She, if she wants, she can outsource the work. She could be outsourcing all of it anyways. Like maybe I just pay Mallory and then Mallory just pays someone, I don't know, in the Philippines to do it for $2 and right. That's entirely possible. Um, she does it when she wants. She invoices me for the work that she does. She makes her own hours. I don't tell her anything. I'm not like, Hey, you have to use Adobe and you have to do this and you have to do that. That's, that's control over services. And like really the, the generally speaking across all jurisdiction, the crux is always going to be how much do you tell someone that they have to do something? So again, if you're making their hours, um, if you're restricting their ability to work with other people, all of these things are indication of an employee as opposed to a contractor. And it's much more expensive for studios to have employees because then you have to, you're responsible for paying taxes on their behalf. You have to make relevant state and federal deductions for taxes. You're going to end up paying your accountant more. I think it's like 13% more expensive, something like that. So um, that's why everyone calls them contractors. But like misclassifying is I call you a contractor. So I'm like, oh, hey, Meg, like sign this independent contractor agreement. But I'm like, you have to teach every, you know, uh, uh, Thursday, 730 slow flow class and you have to do this. And then like whenever we do slow flow, we always play slow flow. We always play Bonnie Vare and we always play, I don't know, Julie Byrne and whatever music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Point makes sense. Definitely. And I myself have contractors, so I know (laughs) I know what you mean. Like I've never my like my good friend Allie's one of my contractors, never met her in person. She lives out in Colorado. Um, I feel like we probably have a lot of listeners who are sitting here thinking, okay, I am one of those teachers. Yeah. I have signed an independent contract. I teach 8 a.m. slow flow. Um, 
what are the important things that they need to be thinking about in terms of what they're signing? And also, um, I know this is a different topic, but, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Non-competes. Okay. A, a couple of things. And I also realized that we didn't answer the crow, the getting injured crow question. So I'm just going to really quickly Circle answer back. that. So this is how it works. Idea when, when someone is an employee of a business, there's something called vicarious liability, which means if one of your employees is carrying out the service in, if one of your employees in the core, in the course of doing their work, the business would be responsible as an independent contractor. You may not be. So the first thing that any independent contractor who's listening, who signed an IC agreement should know is like, check that agreement and see whether or not you, you know, you've signed a release. Like if you've, if you've indemnified the, the term at law is indemnification. If you've indemnified the studio to say, okay, if someone gets hurt in my class, I'm going to be responsible. Obviously all teachers need insurance, like full stop, no question. Um, and, and yeah, so if, if you're an independent contractor and you signed a contractor agreement that has an indemnification clause and someone gets hurt, hurt in your class, it would be possible that you would be legally responsible and the studio would not. That's the, it's not, un, it's not so difficult to imagine that happening um, in a particular way. So we've resolved that particular question now. So someone who's listening and they're like, okay, I'm one of those contractors, but I signed this. And what about non-competes? The, the thing that everyone has to know is that independent contractor agreement plus non-compete will, I don't think there's any jurisdiction where that will, those two things can coexist in one legal agreement. Yeah. They kind of just like directly go against each other. It's like an oxymoron. Yes, it, exactly. That that's exactly it. So what what I find what I found in my practice, having doing having done this for years, is that it will often happen that a studio will get so a uh, one of their teachers to sign an I like a 1099 or an IC agreement that has a non compete, and then the the teacher will hire me to review the agreement, and I'll be like, oh, independent contractor non compete no chance. Like I write a letter to the studio. Hey, this provision that you've included in the agreement it is not legally by like what is not legally valid. Uh, you're not allowed to enforce non-competes on independent contractors as such. Like my, you know, my client will work wherever they want, however they want to. Um, so that's like, that's one thing that everyone should know that if you're, if they're calling you a contractor, they're not also allowed to restrict your ability to earn income unless it's like extremely, 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 specific to what you do but even then it's it's very very difficult um and then the other thing to know is like know your rights right like as as an if someone if your studio is misclassifying you and they're calling you a contractor but treating you like an employee you have the right to go to them and say hey you know things have to the our work relationship should change if you're gonna if you're gonna treat me like an employee pay me like an employee so that i get more benefits and that i get unemployment insurance and all that sort of stuff um, and then conversely, it, or if they don't want to just say, well, look, I get to make my own schedule and, and I get to, you know, and, and I get to teach classes exactly however it is that I want to. And yoga studio owners will not be happy to hear this, but the power imbalance, like if you, and I've, I see this a lot for studios that misclassify their workers. If you, if you've been calling someone a contractor and they've worked for you for years, but you've been treating them like an employee. That person can report you to the Better Business Bureau. They could report you to the IRS. They have a whole lot of leverage of things that they could do if they if they wanted to. 
And so you just, studio owners have to tread very, very, very carefully because like in, in the audit situation that I provided, if they were to, be, if the business were to be reported saying, Hey, I'm really an employee. This is the amount of money that I deserve, or I should get unemployment insurance or whatever it is. And the studio, you know, doesn't have a great agreement is unable to prove any of that information, you know, to the contrary, then they're like, they're held over the rocks and it could be an extremely expensive problem for them. So just on that note, like the, the key always for law is managing relationships on both sides. So if you're a teacher, you want to manage the relationship effectively with, with your clients and with the studio that, that hire that pays you. But also if you have a, if you have a, if you have a studio, um, and you have teachers, you want to be really, really careful about that relationship because I've seen studios got, I've, I've seen studios get burned for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. I mean, a lot of the things that we're talking about and that you're describing is I think the norm, like a, I, I don't know that many studios that don't have contractors and non-competes. And I also, from experience, like teaching in studios, and I'm sure my listeners will relate to this. Teachers feel like really nervous to set boundaries with studio owners because that's where they're, you know, that's where they're teaching. That's where maybe some of their clients are coming from. So what I love about this conversation and the work that you do is that like, I want teachers to feel more empowered to go have those conversations, you know, like, Hey, I'm a contractor. You can't um, tell me what music to play or, you know, knowing what their yeah. rights are depending on where they live and, and wherever. But um, like, I have teachers come to me all the time and they're like, I get paid this amount of money to teach at this time. And they also want me to like show up half an hour early and clean and stay Any? later and do all these things. And like, I don't know how to talk to the studio owner about that. And it, and it's, it's can be really scary, especially, especially for new teachers. Yes, you're right. And also just on that whole, that just on the point of coming early and stay late or cleaning up, even like if you're a contractor and you have mandatory meetings, at law, you must be paid to attend those mandatory meetings. If they're like, hey, we've got a team meeting every two weeks for 30 minutes at this time, and you're an independent contractor, you 100% have to be paid for that. It is illegal to get an independent contractor to come and, and sit through a, mandato a mandatory meeting without compensation. That is like, that is absolutely illegal. But you're, you're right. And but you're so firstly you're totally right and unfortunately it is the norm and like that's why there aren't like how many lawyers are there who work with yoga professionals i don't i don't really know anyone else other than me like this is so i'm trying to raise awareness to these points and share information about it and it's really important and like the only good news that i can say well there's a lot of good news because we're live and we're talking about yoga which is awesome so like i'm, I'm pretty stoked about that but um after covid so much of the power imbalance swung in favor of teachers as opposed to studios. That's that's what I found. And and we'll see now that like we're out of it and things are changing. Before COVID, it was like the studio was God. And you you would do anything for that 630 class that you love that all your regulars come to and you couldn't imagine a life without it. But but what's happened is as like because the world changed now everyone's Instagram channel essentially is their own online yoga studio or could be transformed into an online yoga studio if if done properly in a certain way. So what I found is that studio owners were like, now it's like very hard to find good workers and all these. So you do have, teachers have more power than they have before, but it does require the courage to speak up. And like, and I hope that everyone finds their voice to be able to stand up for themselves in the appropriate way that they that they deserve to be treated.
Yes, I, I absolutely totally agree. Um, I think a lot of teachers found like confidence in the fact that like, okay, I right now during the pandemic, I can't teach at a studio. I am almost forced if I want to keep teaching to figure it out on my own. And that's what a lot of people did. A lot of my clients like took their work online and made online studios and stuff like that. And I think like, I think that's really, I think that's really empowering. And I think hopefully this conversation will, I'm like, I even myself right now, I'm thinking about conversations that I need to have with like studio owners and people, but, um, I kind of want to play out just for like the purposes of this exercise. I kind of want to play out if there's a teacher listening and they're like, I need to talk to the studio owners about, um, them having me do things that I have like legally I'm not obligated to do. I think there's fear there of like, okay, well, if I make a fuss, they could just fire me. Yeah. They could just give my classes to someone else. They could just let me go. Can you talk about like, maybe from a legal standpoint, what, what the implications of that are? Okay. A a couple of things here. So I've said this a couple of times, but the most important thing always is going to be, what does the agreement say between the parties? Right? So if, if you're, if, yeah. So the first thing that that I'd say to someone who's like, okay, I want to talk with my studio owner because I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly or they've misclassified me. So first thing is like, what does your agreement say? And then also like, do you understand the, the implications of, of this agreement, which sometimes is no. So at that point, like if you have a friend who's a lawyer, you could reach out to them, ask them to maybe explain what it means, or you could reach out to me and say like, Hey, Corey, can you review this contract and let me know my rights and my state about this? Then the next thing that you have to do is like, you, you have to know going into it, what your intention is. So my intention is that, okay, I'm going to be compensated for any mandatory meetings I go to, or I get to choose the music that I play, or I get to choose to not have music or whatever it is, any any of those sorts of things. And then at that point, like you, you, you want to, you want to understand what your legal position is. And another word for legal position is like, what are your rights essentially? So again, this is something you could do on your own, or you could work with a, a lawyer in your jurisdiction or someone who understands the yoga industry. And you'd say like, okay, well, this is what I'm looking for legally. What am I, what am I entitled to do? And w- what is my legal position? What, what rights do I have for the type of working in this particular way? Let's say you understand your legal position. You under, you've read through the agreement that you signed. Maybe you did a bit of research to understand it. Then you just ask the studio manager or the owner to have a meeting and you say, hey, I was I listened to this podcast and I became aware of this information about how yoga studios have to treat their their contractors or their teachers. And these are some changes that I would like to see made in our relationship. And this is why. And like, yeah. And is it scary doing that? Sure. Because there's the possibility that they're going to say, oh, sorry, we don't do that and blah, blah, blah. And now we're not giving and you. You've just lost all of your classes, in which case you might have a like you might have the basis for a legal action. And what, what I would say is if if they're really if everything I've spoken about in terms of control and scheduling and all all of those sorts of things, if if there really is even a 50 percent chance that you could be deemed an employee, you will get their attention if they're any if they're anywhere near intelligence. Because it's it, the biggest one of the biggest issues that studio owners and even business owners generally go through is this issue of misclassification. So I think in some ways, it's sort of like being in a relationship where you don't where you feel like you're not being valued properly. And sometimes also, even if you're just having that conversation, a, 
you're standing up for yourself, which is amazing. And B, you know that the next relationship you're getting into, what exactly you deserve and what's going to be important for you. And like, so maybe you're just leaving a bad relationship to enter into a better working relationship, which is possible as well. So it's impossible to know which way it's going to go. But I think even just the act for each individual of standing up for themselves, doing a little bit of research to understand their rights, and then communicating that with integrity, that will carry over into other areas of your life and be a fruitful and beneficial exercise. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And and even like for anyone... I think like the biggest highlight, the biggest takeaway I've found from this conversation is first step is like, just understand, under, like understand what you're signing, understand what you're having your students sign, like do the work to actually go in and learn. And like, I, I know a lot of my listeners are going to say like, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know these things. One, you can read things and figure out what they mean. And two, you have the capability of reaching out to people and getting help with that. Cause I know, especially whenever I start talking about like law stuff and financial stuff, my audience, not to generalize, but a lot yeah. of my audience gets really like shrivels up and is like, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it, but I want to like empower my audience today. If you made it to the end of this podcast episode, like do your homework, do a little bit of your homework, like go into the contracts that you're giving your, your private clients and go into that independent contractor agreement that you signed for the studio that you work for. And like, give it a look, like try to understand it. Don't dismiss it as just like some legal document that probably has you covered. That's like yeah. the, the homework I want to give to my listeners. <laughs> it's, it's excellent homework. And, and I've run a law firm for almost six years now. And the first three years, like when it came to accounting, I was exactly the person that you're describing where I like didn't want to didn't care, brush it under the rug, whatever. Then I had to pay a lot of, a lot, like I made mistakes and I was accountable for those mistakes. And now I have like an amazing bookkeeper, an amazing accountant. And like, I just pay them because I I know how important it is. And yeah, if, if even if you're on a small budget, you're right. Like do the research yourself, look around in your own personal network. If you, if you don't have money to spend on a lawyer, like ask your friends to maybe help with something. I'm sure everyone knows someone who's a lawyer and, and, and you're right. It's about professionalism and it's sort of about leveling up and accepting that responsibility or you, or you accept the alternative where it's like, okay, cool. I'm just realized I'm, I'm not going to do any of this and I'm going to let the studio continue to treat me in a way that I don't feel valued. And like that, does that make me sad? It does, but it's, it's sort of one or the other. Right. Yeah. And I mean, what I want from like this podcast is to help yoga teachers feel a little bit more like business owners. I think like right now the industry kind of teach like treats yoga teachers as if we're not really our own business owners. We don't really get taken as seriously as other types of entrepreneurs. And that goes with like a lot of my clients come in and they aren't tracking their expenses. You know, they aren't covered legally, all of these things. And I like, my hope is that moving forward, kind of like what you said at the beginning, my hope moving forward is that we can start to learn these things right off the bat because we are service providers and we're getting certifications to provide a service. So once we become business owners, there's other boxes that we need to check as well. This being one of them. Actually, and like the, there's like 10 boxes we need to check on this. You know, there, there's a couple, but the, the whole reason why I built my practice is to make a turnkey solution because I understand the expectation is not that new yoga teachers are going to become legal aficionados and want to learn and like, I get it. I know my relationship with accounting. So no one needs to tell me (laughs) 
what's up, what something boring is like. But also the good news is, is like there is a spectrum and, and I have a, I have a lot of clients who are very successful, who are a hundred percent entrepreneurs and who build things and are taken very seriously and have teams and, and have amazing communities and, and do things the right way. So it's available for all of us. And, and I also hope my shared hope and intention with you is that someone who's listening to this is like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm excited. And I'm going to, I'm going to take this to the next level and, and do things in the proper way to protect myself and to, to grow properly. Corey, I want to thank you so much for being on here and sharing, sharing your knowledge with my whole audience. All of your links are going to be in the show notes. So for anyone listening, if you heard Corey mention his book, his practice, all of that will be down in the show notes. So definitely give him, give him some love, follow him on all the things. And I'll hope to have you on here again. Okay, Meg, thanks so much. It's, this was such a great conversation. 